we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of his talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, authority, beauty and meditation. Extracts from our extensive archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is God. Upcoming themes are jealousy, intelligence and habits. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. For more information about our activities and programmes, such as our volunteer programme at Brockwood Park in the UK, we are online at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's podcast has six sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's second question and answer meeting in Bombay 1985, titled To understand the human psyche is more important than to talk about God. Since you say that there is no such thing as God, and you also condemn idol worship, then the question of how we are born and how the nature came into existence comes into the picture, kindly explain. Scientists say we came from water, from the cells, from the animal, the ape, and all that is part of nature. It has taken three and a half million years or more or less to become a human being, which is what we are now. Either that's so, or you believe God has made us. Right? You follow this question? Either you believe in the scientific theory or the scientific facts, or you believe that God has made us. Right? Or that there is God in us, whatever game you like to play. The scientists have proved as a fact that we come 
is a tiny cell multiplying itself from the water and gradually becoming earthborn and the ape from the ape we are we have become what we are that is we are part of nature not the whole world is part of us and if you believe that some creator is made you that creator must be rather silly rather blind idiotic man or woman because look at us what we are <laughs> now you love but all the temples the mosques and the churches are filled with this we are not made in the image of god but we have made god our image you understand the difference says to find out to discover or to come upon that which is not the world not memory not tradition which is not of time and so on we must understand what we are first why why we have become like this barbarous violent greedy envious money minded hating each other you know all the things that are going on in the world that's far more important to find that first rather than to say who made us we are what we are now blind rather stupid gullible frightened lonely depressed sorrowful all that is what we are and to understand this whole structure of the human psyche is far more important than merely talk about god or do some repetitive ritual or go to a temple and worship a piece of stone so the speaker doesn't condemn anything forgive me pointing this out it just shows what we human beings are doing is acting as a mirror for you to look into that mirror that mirror is not the authority it has no authority just a mirror and that mirror when you see it clearly understand what you see in that mirror then throw away the mirror break it up 
Don't make another idol of it, another personal worship, as the as most Indian are apt to do. So first, what is important is to find out how we live. Why we are so narrow, limited, so self-centred, self-interest. It may sound repetitive, but that is the most important factor that shapes all our lives. The second extract is from the second question-and-answer meeting in Madras, 1981, titled, Does God Exist? Ah, kindly give a straight reply. Does God exist or not? Yes or no? If yes, how best to realise Him in this life? It's a lovely question, isn't it? <laughs> Man, throughout history, from the ancient Greeks, from the ancient Sumerians, have this idea of God. Right? I'm not at all sure whether in the Upanishads and whether they mention God at all, or is it a later invention? Yes. So, what is God? We are investigating. I am not attacking God. I am not denying God. But we are investigating whether there is such a thing as God. Who invented God? Did God invent us? Did God create us? Hmm? Right? God, who is omnipotent, omniscience, eternal, merciful, justice, all goodness, right? That's your concept of God. And if you say, He has created us, then we are part of His image. We are part of Him. That is, we are omniscient, generous, loving, right? And eternal. Right? Are we? Or we think we are. You understand my question? If God created you, He must be an extraordinary entity, because He wants you to lead a terrible life. You understand my question? 
if God made you, why are you like this? You must be extraordinary human beings, mustn't you? Beautiful, full of joy, excitement, full of delight, but you are not. So either you have created God or God has created you. But if you examine very closely, you have created God, right? In India there are about, I was told, there are about three hundred thousand gods and more. (laughs) Every local person has his own god. So, sirs, we have created God. See the irony of it. Thought has created God, and then thought worshipped the image which thought has created, which is to worship oneself and call it God. You understand all this? The better part of you is God, right? I wonder if you understand this. First of all, let's be clear. Have you created God, the local gods round the corner, or the local god in Rome or in Tirupati or wherever? You have created them, haven't you? Huh? You are so very uncertain, aren't you? So frightened. If you have, if you say we have created then you are scared stiff, because you have created out of your fear that. Out of your fear you want security, right? You want safety, you want to feel there is somebody looking after you, because you are afraid, you are… you follow? So you create that, and then worship them. Just see what you are doing, going to Tirupati and putting all your money to the, in the bag. Do you think God wants your money? So look at it all. You have nothing but to offer but money. Garlands, prostrations, rituals, right? You have nothing else to offer. Have you realized the tragedy of this earth? If you love, not God. That's very easy to love God, because it's so an abstraction, it has not much meaning. But if you loved, that very love is 
God in that very lovely sacred. You won't go outside to look for God. You understand all this? Yes. And the questioner wants to know if I believe in God. I don't. Because God is not something created by man. There is such thing as eternity, which is to be outside of time. For that you must have a mind, a heart that is completely free from all the burdens of life. Right? from your vanity, your arrogance, your selfishness. You follow, sir? And we are we say, well, I'm not capable of it. Tell us what to do. You're back in the cycle. Somebody to tell you what to do. So you are in a jungle. You have to walk through it by yourself, right? And for that you need vitality and vigour and strength, not in belief in God, in goodness. Belief has no place where truth is concerned. The third extract is from the third talk in Sanin, 1984, titled Thought Created God. We have sought security inwardly. We have created, thought has created God. Would you be shocked by that? Thought has created it. Thought has put all together the various rituals, the various dogmas, beliefs, faith, rituals. This is the common factor of all religions. And thought not finding psychologically secure, projected the concept of, an, of God from the ancient days, from Jupiter, Zeus, and the Asiatics had their own peculiar ancient deities. Is there such security psychologically at all? You understand my question? One follows another, especially in the so-called, which the speaker doesn't like that word spiritual, in the so-called spiritual world, one seeks security. 
following the guru, following the various traditional concepts, Catholic, Protestant, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, and also gurus and security in knowledge, in skill, in various forms of activity, consoling, disturbing, destructive, but trying to find through all these means security. And the brain needs extraordinary security. Otherwise it can't function clearly. So one questions whether there is, apart from physical security, which is slowly being denied and destroyed, is there psychological security at all? Right? Please, let us investigate that very carefully, because most of us want in our relationship some kind of stability, some kind of safety, a sense of being at home, not in the house, but inwardly of being at home with somebody, man, woman, or with some symbol, with some concept, or, as the Christians would have it, in faith. God knows why, what that means, but they find security in faith. And the Asiatic world, especially in India, doubt has been one of the major tenets of their religion, that one must question the very highest authority. One must doubt. So, in that doubting, questioning, probing, one asks, if one has done it very, very deeply, is there security at all? You understand my question? There is, one must have physical security. That's understood, don't let's. And that's being destroyed through nationalism, through wars, through division. There's a peculiar thing going on called United Nations. It's a contradictory in terms. Nations cannot be united. They're always separate, divisive. They can never be united, and therefore they are always at war, getting more armaments and so on and so on. I don't have to go into all that. We all know that. And nobody seems to say, let's stop all this. The religions encourage it. 
this division, Catholic, Protestant, Hindu, Buddhist, and all that nonsense to me. And this division, the divisive process, which is going on throughout the world, is bringing about great conflict. And inwardly, too, we are divisive. We are, as human beings, broken up, fragmented, never whole, holistic. And if one begins to inquire more deeply, is there any security at all? The fourth extract is from the seventh talk in London, 1962, titled The Religious Mind Isn't the Mind That Believes. The religious people say you must turn to God and be in a state of receptivity. Be in a state where the grace of God can come into being. Under every form of religious, I was going to use the word chicanery, to persuade the human mind to influence, to control the human mind so that it will, in some form or other, achieve this innocence. And there are those who try various forms of drugs to achieve this extraordinary state of bliss, of innocence, where there is a heightened sensitivity, perceptivity and listening. Neither the drug nor all the various forms of yoga of every form of belief and denial of belief, all waiting for the grace of God can bring about this innocence. Because all that implies effort, all that implies the seeking, the escape. From the fact of what is, And that innocence can only come into being when there is freedom from the known. The dying to the known, dying to the past, to the pleasures, to the memories, to the ideas, to the things that one has cherished, built, put together as character.
But we do not want to die to anything. We rather find a substitution, escape, find an illusion. But we never want to die to anything which gives us pleasure to things that we have known, cherished. To any memory. But one must die for that innocency to be. And this dying is not a verbal statement, a verbal conclusion, a conflict. There must be an actual dying. But one can't die if you have a motive to die. For motive has root in time. And time is all. And thought is the response of this totality of consciousness, which is the known. And a man who has or gone through or understood this whole process of influence, of conditioning, For we're all conditioned. As the British, as a British, or a Russian, a Hindu, as a Catholic, Buddhist, and so on. We are shaped by society. By environment. We are the environment. Most of you undoubtedly believe in God or in some form of super state because you have been brought up in it. Like in Russia, they don't believe in any of that nonsense. That's their conditioning as this is your condition, without realizing all that conditioning, not through analysis, because that takes time. A conditioning can only be broken immediately, and the totality of conditioning is the consciousness alone, and it can be broken. And it can only be broken when it is approached negatively. And this negation is not the opposite of the positive. As love is not the hate, opposite of hate, this negation is not 
the opposite of what we call the positive. The positive being the analysis, the examination, the trying to change what is, trying to conform to the pattern or try to change the pattern. All that we consider the positive. That which we are talking about as negation, negative, is not the opposite of that. It is the denial of the opposite. It is not a synthesis. A synthesis implies the coming together of the opposite. which is further productive of more of it. But we are denying the positive altogether, this approach to change the psyche through effort, through analysis. When you deny that totally, which is our condition, then the mind is in a state of negation. And it is only then possible that an innocency can be. It is this innocency which is really the religious mind. The religious mind isn't the mind that believes, that goes to church every day or three times a day or once a week or once a month. It is not a religious mind that has dogma. It is not the religious mind that has innumerable beliefs and superstitions. The religious mind is the scientific mind, which is able to observe the fact without distortion, the fact of its own inquiry and the falseness of that inquiry, to see itself as it is. To see our condition requires a scientific mind, not a believing mind, not an accepting mind, not a doubting mind, but a mind that is capable of seeing rationally, sanely, the fact that unless there is a total breaking away from the psychological structure of society which we are. There is no innocence. And therefore such a mind can never be a religious mind. A religious mind is not a fragment, fragmentary mind. It comprehends the totality of life. The life of sorrow, the life of pain, the life of 
joy and the passing entertainment of life, the totality of life and the comprehension of that, not in department, not in fragmentation, but the totality of whole of life. Such a mind is a religious mind. And it's a religious mind only that can go beyond. Not the believing mind, not the mind that says there is a beyond, there is a God, or have a hypothesis about God. It's only the religious mind that, that can go beyond in the sense that it's only the religious mind that can break away totally from the psychological structure of ambition, greed, envy, competition, the demand for more psychologically. It's only such a mind that can be innocent. And then, there is a possibility for such a mind to find out if there is or if there is not that which is immeasurable. The word God is not God. The concept of what one calls God is not God. To find that, if there is that, all verbal concepts all verbal formulation, all ideas and in fact thought, which is the response of memory, must come totally to an end. Then only is there innocence. And then you will find out for yourself <coughs> Without any deception, without any wanting, without any desire, because such a mind is no longer seeking experience. The mind that seeks experience is an immature mind. Such a mind which is innocent is no longer concerned with experience. Then being free of the word, the word being the capacity to recognize, recognize from the known, 
Because otherwise you cannot recognize anything. Recognition implies association. Either verbal or actual through experience. Therefore, a religious mind is free of the word, concept, formulas, patterns. And such a mind alone can find out for itself if there is or if there is not the immeasurable. The fifth extract this week is from the second question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1984, titled, Why Do We Pray? Why do you not find value in prayer? Do you find value in prayer? Would you kindly, would you... I don't know why you accuse me of not having any value in prayer. Why do we pray? You know that there are a whole group of community or monks who are perpetually praying. One group finishes praying, the other group takes it up. And we also pray when we are in difficulties. When there is great crisis in our life, we want to pray or say, somebody help me, please. You know that joke of a man hanging onto a cliff? He says, please, God, save me. And God says, have faith and jump. (laughs) And the man who is hanging on to cliff, he says, isn't there somebody above that still? (laughs) Sorry. Why do we pray at all? (coughs) This has been going on, praying, in the Christian world, in the Islamic world, in a a different way, Buddhist and Hindu world. Pray. To whom are you praying? To an outside agency? Outside agency being God or the Lord, the Lord according to different countries and cultures and tradition, the Almighty of different concepts, 
to whom are we praying? And why do we pray? Does prayer answer our difficulties? In some cases, when you are praying, not merely using certain words, chanting and so on, but praying silently without word. Do you understand what I'm saying? Perhaps you might have an answer because your whole brain has become quiet. And in that quietness, in that stillness of the brain without movement of thought, you find an answer. And then you say, but I must pray more and more, which is you you have achieved, you have gathered some experience and that experience has brought certain results and you like those results and so you keep this going. Then it becomes a habit and you've lost everything. Why do we pray at all? We're not condemning or saying it's all right. But we are questioning the whole thing with certain scepticism, with certain quality of brain that says, give me the reason, not just emotional reactions. And one is in great difficulty. There's great crisis, pain, sorrow, insoluble. And at that moment we look to somebody to help. And I, this somebody is not my husband, wife, children and my neighbour or somebody across the street, because I know them too well. They are also in the same position as myself. And so I turn to some outside agency. Outside agency means not something that organized by thought, God, Christ, and in India it is another deity, and so on. I pray on my knees because I can't solve this problem at all. I cannot resolve my sorrow, my pain, my loneliness. And so I gradually begin to depend on something externally. Either it's the doctor, psychiatrist or God. They are all the same. Moment I want to be helped. One may call saintly prayer, 
The other is able, that's mundane. That's you pay ten dollars, ten pounds, and get. You know what happens? You don't have to control. So they are both the same, all the same. <coughs> so why do I do this? Because <coughs> I want to be helped. I am not able to solve the problem, or I think I am not able to solve the problem. It's very painful, devastating, disturbs my whole life. And I want someone to calm my being, to help me to overcome this. And this has been done for forty, fifty, and more thousand years. It was the thunder, lightning before, then it was the worship of trees. Then is now worship of symbols and images. Not much difference. So I have to ask, why do I want help? Is it not possible? It may sound rather cruel, but it's not. The person who is always asking for help becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. Dala. Then he becomes he then becomes utterly dependent on something. Either on drugs or on people or on ideals, ultimately his concept of God. Whether it is a drug or God, it's still the same, along the same line, because you want to be helped. Now I'm asking, we're asking ourselves: Is it possible for me to solve my own problems without a single aid from another? Which requires a great deal of stamina, energy, to go and see now this problem of envy. What is envy? Is always comparison, and little more than comparison, the the craving. They want, and can that end without time? Then I don't have to pray. Then I am. Then the person who is like that, he's he's totally free from all contamination of thought. So it requires. The understanding of fear, to be able to stand completely 
on your feet. And that is now being slowly being denied. Drugs, cocaine and heroin and all that is spreading in the world. We are bored with life. And we want substitutions for life. And so prayer is your own desire to achieve something which will be most gratifying, an easy way to live without any understanding. It's much more complicated than merely the statements of the speaker. See, we are all so petty, small-minded. And if we could step out of that, not tomorrow, now, then Life is something that's endless, immense. The final extract this week is from the first discussion at Brockwood Park in 1971, titled, I Don't Know What God Is. Do you believe in God? How silent, you see. <laughs> when you touch the real things, you become quiet because you are frightened. So I want to find out. The mind says, What is love? They talk about it so much. Hmm? Love God, love humanity, I love my wife, I love my country. You follow? What does it mean? I want to find out. Don't you? You don't. To find out I must have energy, mustn't I? So how do I have that energy? By not asserting or introducing something which I am familiar with. Hmm? Love, they say, is love God, love is sex, love is happiness, love is beauty, love is... If all those are distractions, wastage of energy, isn't it? Can I put all that aside? I want to find out if there is such thing as God, I don't know. Millions of people, the propagandists, the priests, the books, the everyday politician and all the muckrake, everybody talks about God, except perhaps the communists, but they have their own gods. I want to find out. How do I find out? I, 
burning with it, not just sitting there, I want to find out. You understand? I want to find out if there is something real. And for that I must have tremendous energy. So I must first gather this energy. So I must find out how I waste energy. You follow? I obviously waste energy when I believe in God, right? Or when I don't believe in God, it's a wastage of energy, right? To believe or not to believe, or to say, yes, there is God, look at nature, without God they would follow all that tummy rot. I want to find out. Therefore, I'm, to find out there must be freedom of energy. And that's why I say, I don't know. And when I say, I don't know, that gives you tremendous energy. I don't know what God is. I'm not an atheist, I don't believe or disbelieve, I don't know. That means, is my mind free of fear? You follow? Because I, when I say I don't know, there's tremendous sense of uncertainty. If nothing you can rely on. God was a marvelous refuge in which I took shelter. When I say there isn't, I don't know. I refuse that shelter. You following? Do you? So I have no saviour, no guru, no teacher. I must find out. 